Thank you, thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. We are at the end of our series called Taste and See, which you guys have heard us talking about a lot, uh, talking about uh, Psalms 34, 8, Taste and See that Lord is Good. And we wanted to end on a very positive note, which I feel like worship kind of set us up for a win, so I really can't mess this up. Um, except for the problem with uh, the fact that whenever I speak, I'm typically sharing something really heavy. I'm talking about the upside down. Um, it's kind of going to be, it's going to be a challenge. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. No, but uh, for real, like the last time I sp- stood here, I talked about the devil's discipleship model, which if you guys weren't here on a Sunday night, you kind of missed out. Um, that, by the way, does not make for a great uh, podcast title for a church. If anybody's curious, it's not going to work. Um, I think we ended up calling it the power of proximity, which sounds way better, right? So um, you guys have heard a little bit about my story, about where I've come from. And like uh, David was saying, my name is Lee Vartanian. I'm the senior associate pastor here at Bridgeway. Um, I also have the fun title of prophet of the house. And uh, being a, a Marine turned cop turned prophet of the house doesn't really make me anybody's first pick um, for sharing a, a really positive message. Um, but the, the whole series is called, uh, it's Taste and See. It's literally just about the goodness of God. Um, you guys all, I believe, got jars of honey on your seats. And my wife told me that I'm not allowed to tie this message into the upside down, Right. So I think we're gonna. I think we're set up for a win. Um, so the title of today's message is going to be "Taste and See That You Might Be in the Upside Down." <laughs> right? Who's ready? Who's ready? Okay, no. <laughs> I got some people really excited. It's kind of concerning. Really concerning. You feel me? She feels me. All right. Um, she feels me. So yeah. So when Pastor Chad asked me to speak for the first time, like I thought that was just God. Um, testing me, you know, to see if I was going to be obedient and um, trying to get me to deal with one of my worst fears, which is speaking in public. And so I really didn't have a title for my message. I actually haven't titled any of my messages until like after the fact where they're asking me, hey, what should we call this? And we kind of talk about it and come up with something. But if you're going to speak once, there's really not a reason, right? Because it's just the one message that Lee spoke, you could just say that, and that would be enough that you know exactly what we're talking about. You could find it on, online. Um, but since Pastor Chad keeps asking me to come up and speak, which is awesome, it's a privilege, and I'm honored to do it, um, I feel like I need to start naming the messages, right? So you guys will know what to, what to refer to. So um, since I consider myself very creative, I'm married to a creative, Lindsay Vartanian, um, I am going to name this message, Taste and See, Part 4. <laughs> Right? I like prayed about it, you know, sat underneath a tree and journaled about it, um, looked up the prophetic uh, meaning of number four. That's it, right? Taste and see part four. Um, So, yeah, so now the last time that I asked if anyone in here had read a book, some of you guys remember because you're laughing already, uh, I asked if anybody had read the book Flatland, A Romance of Many Dimensions, which was written in 1884. And I love. And like one person raised their hand, and it was Blake. And nobody was surprised, Blake. I don't know what that means. 
Um, so this time when I ask if anybody in here has read this book, I really hope you guys are going to raise your hand. At least somebody's going to raise their hand. All right. Um, partly because uh, my wife says she read the Many Dimensions thing. Yes, honey. And nobody was, nobody was surprised either um, when you raise your hand. So, because you guys are all a little strange. Creatives are a little off. Um, in a good way. Help us to be creative. So, no, but this next book, you guys, we're kind of, um, I hope that uh, people are going to raise their hand because it was written in 2006, not 1884. So that's already setting us up for a win, right? Um, and then also, too, in part because we gave, we literally gave copies of the book to everyone on staff and all of our elders. So raise your hand if you guys have read the book Secrets of the Ascended Life by Mr. Kelly Varner. Okay, that looks like just the staff and like three other people. It's a great book. Well, how do we come up with, we like stumble upon these books, like God will drop these books in our lap and, and they'll change our life and shape our culture. Highly recommend it. So I'm going to tell you what, again, it's called Secrets of the Ascended Life. So write that down. Uh, by Kelly Varner. So in the book, Mr. Varner talks about four revelations of the ascended life. And those revelations are, it's secret, it's perspective, its impartation, and its application. Now, I know we aren't in the Ascend the Mountain series anymore, but the ascended life, the premise of the whole book, is really about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and experiencing His goodness in everyday life. The first revelation the book shares is really important. It's the secret of the ascended life. And that revelation is it's the secret that we are already ascended. Yes. Ephesians 2.6 says... I'm pausing because I'm just going to take my word for it or look in your phone um, or flip open your Bible. There it is. We're in Ephesians 2, 6, 2, 6 says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. But it's back in Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 that we actually get to see, uh, get to understand the weight of what it really means to be seated with him in, heaven, in the heavenly realm. We read, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the ones to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So now if we are seated with him in heavenly places, and we just read that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, then I guess my question is, why does it seem like the majority of believers are living powerless and defeated lives? Spending more time running from the enemy than having the enemy run from them. I think it's because of the next perspective that's revealed. It's because we have a flawed perspective. I mean, for the majority of us, unless we're walking in that kind of power and authority really do on some level have a flawed perspective. 
the second revelation of the ascended life is that the perspective of the ascended life is what enables us to look through the eyes of God. Philippians 3, verse 20 through 21, says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. So to embrace the ascended life, we have to realize that our perspective, our lens, is that of heaven. If we change our perspective, our reality, to match his, and we'll see that we're currently seated with him. It's, it's a present tense thing. We are currently seated with him in heavenly places. That's our reality, and it has to match his. I like what Mr. Varner says in his book, I'm not a human being trying to have a spiritual experience. I'm a spirit being of which God Almighty is the Father, trying to put up with a human experience. I mean, that's how it feels, right? Uh, and then uh, this, I like how Chris Vowden says it too. Uh, this is Chris Vowden out of Bethel. We are a spirit trying to have a temporary human existence. That's the truth. That is our reality. Yet these earth suits give us so much trouble. Some of ours more trouble than others. I probably should run a little bit more. Um, but it's these earth suits that so easily skew our perspectives and prevent us from being able to see ourselves from that perspective of being seated in heavenly places. So we can read Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. But what do we think that really means? And I believe that's because uh, that's based on what our perspective is. Because depending on that, depending on our view, the lens that we're viewing things from, uh, we could, it could mean a lot of different things. It might mean that the Lord tolerates us. It could mean that he kind of loves us. You know, that maybe one day he'll get us out of debt or win the lottery. Which, by the way, somebody actually just did <laughs> in Simpsonville. Um, how crazy is that? $1.5 million, right? No, sorry, billion? Everybody corrected me. It's a lot of, a lot, all of it's a lot of money. $1.5 billion, I can't even say it. can't make myself say it. $1.5 billion. Um, so now, if you're in this room and you won, because it was somebody in Simpsonville, we had a lot of people from Simpsonville, I'd like you to go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, well, I don't see anybody raising their hand. If... Um, if it's you and you didn't raise your hands, probably good, you know, because you don't want people knocking your door down. Um, but uh, just want to make sure you're going to tie that 10%. If you haven't already, um, I'll introduce you to uh, our legacy campaign. Um, I'll introduce you guys. Saw um, uh, David Sisson up here. We'll get you together. Um, that's, I think, 10% is like one, five, zero, and then like six zeros, right? After that, to, to write that check out to Bridgeway Church. Um, and we'll be, it'll be great, right? Praise God. And he'll bless it, right? He'll bless it. So um, you want to do that. Get that get taken care of quick. Um, no, but for real. So raise your hand if you're in here and you had somebody call you, a family member or relative call you and ask you if you won. <laughs> Look around, guys. <laughs> so the day after, my dad calls me and he's like, son. <laughs> thought we were okay. Thought we had an agreement. Thought you loved me. I didn't get a call from you. 
Just wanted to call and make sure you didn't forget to call your father and uh, inform him, inform me that I'm, you know, that you're a billionaire now. So yeah, but like everybody's calling, texting, like, hey, was it you? Was it you? <laughs> it was hilarious. Like, you know, like you're going to, like you could go instantly into hiding. If I want it, you would probably, I wouldn't have a phone number anymore. You wouldn't have my house. Or, like you wouldn't be able to find me. I can, I can promise you that. Um, but yeah, so, but he was calling to see if I was a bajillionaire, right? Which I think that's the right term. It goes millionaire, bajillionaire, right? Is that right? Because uh, that's a lot of money. And uh, it's so much money that I really can't count that high. I had a hard time saying it earlier. Um, and it's, you can't spend that all in one place, right? You say, don't spend it all in one place. You can't literally spend that in one place unless somebody told me you could buy a country. So, unless you're buying a country. Um, but no, so for real, the, our, our perspective of what the Lord being good is all over the charts, right? Which brings us to the third revelation, which is the impartation of the ascended life. Which is described as the downloading of the gift that we are and the gift that we have. That's the manifestation of heaven come to earth. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And then John 10.10 we read, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, if you, that's through the NIV. If you read the ASV, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Mr. Varner talks about this and talks about the word abundantly in his book. Um, and he says that what it means is in the sense of beyond, superabundant in quantity and superior in quality, by implication excessive, over and above, more than is necessary, Super added, superior, and it kind of goes on and on and on. You get the picture. Now, when I hear the word abundance and then hear the word excessive, I have to be honest with you guys, the old, oldly comes out, orphanly. And when I hear those terms like excessive, I actually used to hear the word waste or poor steward. Um, now, since we just got on talking about how important perspective is, I'm going to be real with you guys and talk about one of my own personal struggles that I've had, um, and that is with the idea of abundance. You see, I've actually had a really strong disdain in the past for the word abundance, because I believed that to follow Christ meant that you're supposed to always be in lack. And it's a really awful way to think, but I'm just being honest, that's how I thought. I believed that to be a good Christian, you had to not have things because things would have you. And you didn't want that to happen, which, you know, it can be true. Things can have you. But it doesn't actually have to be true for you. I also connected the dot with abundance and finances. And so my disdain for abundance, I had a disdain for finances and believed that if you were going to be a good Christian, you had to be poor. Because in Matthew 5, 3, it says, blessed are the poor um, because they will inherit the kingdom of heaven, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I kind of loosely use that as my scriptural backing, which really doesn't actually add up, but it was enough for me to say, bless are the poor, um, and me think that that was okay. And the reason why it's such an issue to have that perspective um, is because money is actually amoral. Uh, you know, the love of money isn't, but like Pastor Chad says in here a lot, uh, money is like a brick. You can use it to build a house, or you can throw it through a window. The brick, like money is amoral. And the Father's been helping me to see the unhealthy root because there was a reason why I felt like that and why I had that perspective. 
Um, and, you know, I'm saying the word disdain, but actually I would say that I actually had a hatred um, towards my own flawed definition of abundance. Uh, that actually came from my observations uh, through life experiences and a lot of, you know, through my time being a police officer, of how people would use abundance or things, money, specifically in things, to manipulate and abuse other people. And so I connected those dots really strongly to the point that I really had a hard time with even hearing verses like that. Now, I can assure you that guys, I can assure you guys I'm not going to start preaching a prosperity gospel um, where God gives everybody a Bentley and makes everybody rich, minus that one person that didn't raise their hand. And, I know, we'll, we'll find you after service. Um, uh, but, you know, it's about, it's about perspective and how we view things. And if we're viewing things from a rightful seat, um, which is with him, and that's our perspective, then our lives should actually look a lot more like Philippians 2, 3 through 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So if God in the flesh, who literally had everything, could be able to not take advantage of that and humble himself, then I think that's a great example for us to live by. But in Matthew 6.33, we read, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then which is it? Is it all these things, or is it make yourself nothing? Right? I mean, he's giving us an example. And the answer, you know, we, got, we talk about paradox a lot in here. The answer is both and. And honestly, I think it goes back to the idea of perspective. Because I believe that if we're truly seeking him first, then all these things will take on a different light. Our want list actually is going to get traded for his want list for our lives. And if you seek him first, you will have everything you need to do what he's asked you to do. It's about aligning our perspective with heavens. And that doesn't mean that you'll get a Bentley and have a mansion, but it also doesn't mean that you won't. See, I believe that God loves his kids enough uh, to make sure that there's one of them in every tax bracket. It's a big God. But it doesn't mean that when you align your perspective with heavens that you'll find that you, it does mean that when you align your perspective, perspective with heavens, um, that you may actually find that you already have everything that you need. I think we lose track of things a lot trying to come up with using other people's um, checklist as ours. Uh, it makes us keep up with the Joneses, looking at people next door, wondering what you have that the other person doesn't. And for us, really, it's about receiving the impartation of the, of the uh, ascended life, which this next part, which is the last um, revelation that he shares, the fourth and final revelation, it's the application of the ascended life. Paul talks about the application of that ascended life when he's when in Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now that phrase, take hold, in verse 12 and 13, in the King James Version, reads apprehended. And it's the Greek word katalambano, which means to take eagerly, seize, possess, to lay hold of. This is the language of forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead that sounds a lot like the leave and cleave verbiage that we find in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. When we get married, we leave behind an old way of thinking. And when we take hold of our spouse, we're professing that our lives will forever be changed. It's a covenantal agreement before both God and man. A type and shadow for what's to come. A time when Christ will be reunited with his spotless bride. We wear a wedding band as an outward symbol of the union between husband and wife. It's a symbol that we've left the old and have embraced the new. And it's a constant daily reminder of the covenantal relationship we have with our spouse as well as a reminder for our relationship as the bride to God. In the Old Testament, we can find another example of a constant daily reminder of that covenant between God and his bride through the continual ascended offering. It was a burnt offering that was instituted at the induction, ordination of Aaron and his sons. And in Exodus 29... Verse 38 through 43, we read that these are the sacrifices you are to offer regularly on the altar. Each day, after two, each day offer two lambs that are a year old, one in the morning and the other in the evening. With one of them, offer two quarts of flour, choice flour mixed with one quart of pure oil of pressed olives. Also, after one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Offer the other lamb in the evening, along with the same offering of flour and wine as in the morning. It will be a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord. These burnt offerings are to be made each day from generation to generation. Offer them in the Lord's presence at the tabernacle entrance. There I will meet with you and speak with you. I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. In Leviticus 6, verse 13, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. It represented a completeness of the future sacrifice of Christ laying down his life for his bride. It was a continual, tangible, daily reminder of the abiding acceptance of God's kids. Exodus 29, 41 refers to that pleasing aroma. And I love Merriam-Webster's definition of aroma. It reads, A distinctive, pervasive, and usually pleasant or savory smell. A distinctive quality or atmosphere. That, that pervasive, distinct aroma from the sacrifices made at the tabernacle would actually fill the entire camp. Last week after service, we all got to enjoy some delicious barbecue. If you were here for that, Raise your hand. 
Oh, yeah. It was amazing. I actually told Pastor Chad that uh, I would love for us to do that every single Sunday. Yeah, or uh, <laughs> how practical that is. Or maybe like after, you know, once, once a month maybe. Some, some kind of regular thing. Um, anyways, so, but as soon as you walked out into the lobby, you guys could, you could smell it, right? It was undeniable. Um, and if you're around the smoker where it was being cooked, then you would actually have the smell or the aroma of barbecue on you as well. If you're out there long enough by the smoker, then your clothes, your hair, really all of you would smell like that. And when you enter another room, that aroma would come with you. And if that wasn't already in the room, you would literally change the atmosphere in the natural of that room. It would be distinct and undeniable, which is exactly what we're supposed to smell like to the world. Now, we may not um, want to smell like barbecue, which I think would be incredible. It would make me hungry all the time. I'd always, I'd always want to be eating. Um, yeah, but, you know, if, you're living, if we are living the ascended life, then our lives should smell a lot more like the ascended offering that we just read about. Because our lives are supposed to be that living sacrifice. And if that's the case, and we're living that out, then there really should be a certain aroma about us that's noticeable to everyone that we come into contact with. Now, last week, Pastor Winnie talked about the uh, sense of smell and how powerful, or sorry, the sense of taste and how powerful that was. Um, but what we, she didn't talk about was the role that um, smell has with taste that completes the flavor palette of things that we're eating. That's where a lot of our taste comes from, actually, is through our olfactory receptors. Um, when you chew food, you're actually pushing air up into your nasal cavity. Um, and that's what gives you the full sensation of flavor that you're experiencing. They say that the sense of smell is one of the strongest senses that we have. It's one of the most base level senses. And that it's very strongly connected to our long-term memory. And now in survival training, I can tell you guys that they teach you that smell is one of the last senses to go if your health and mental state is deteriorating. Um, and that's because it's how you identify edible food that's safe to eat. Um, how many guys or gals in here, I say guys, I mean guys and gals, uh, have a fond memory of a smell? It's like everybody, right? Um, for me, we recently went into a, a house, and that house smelled just like my great-uncle Billy's house. And it was like I went back in time. It, takes, it took me back to a different place. Um, I have the same response to the smell of fresh-cut grass. Um, I know a lot of people have fond memories of fresh-cut grass, but for me it's because um, I spent summers in Pennsylvania at my great-grandmother's house and have lots of fond memories there um, because there was a field across the street that when it would get cut, um, you could smell in the, the air, the cool breeze in the evenings would blow that into the windows. Um, and so now when I'm driving on the road or I'm walking around and I smell that, it, I, I, it's like I literally go back in time, and I can be there at my great-grandmother's house in Pennsylvania. And I think it's really interesting that in the same way that we associate memories with smells, that God is providing his children with a memory through the smell of that offering of something that actually hadn't happened yet. He gave them a memory of a time in the future, something that had not happened, 
where he would offer up his son once and for all as that living sacrifice, as that perfect offering. In Hebrews 10.10, it says, and by that, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, tasting and seeing the Lord is good isn't just about us experiencing his goodness. It's about us exposing his goodness to the world. Because everybody who comes into contact with should be able to smell that aroma of our living sacrifice, that aroma of heaven. It's the mark of the ascended life. Now, the world's interactions with us, it should leave them with that lasting impression of the goodness of the Father. But really, it should give them a, a tangible memory of a time that they may not have yet realized. Sorry. a glimpse of God's intended future for their lives. Second Corinthians two fourteen to 15 reads, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ, among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Sorry. I pray that we may grab hold of that reality of the position that we have with him in high places. May we do our part to ensure that he continues to get his ascended offering. That fire was never meant to go out on the altar. It's through our daily sacrifices that we have the opportunity to give him that offering, to be that sweet-smelling aroma to him that would allow us to carry the very presence of heaven with us wherever we go so that the lost can taste and see that he is good. To close out this message, I want to read Psalms 34, 1 through 22. And actually, I think we're going to do some ministry time after this. Because I'm crying. So, Lindsay and Will, you guys, if you want to come back up. I'm going to read out the message. <clears throat> I, be- I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with his praise. I live and breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Join me in spreading the news. Together, let's get the word out. God met me more than halfway. He freed me from my anxious fears. Look at him. Give him your warmest smile. Never hide your feelings from him. When I was desperate, I called out. And God got me out of a tight spot. God's angels set, us, set up a circle of protection around us while we pray. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are those who run to him. Worship God if you want the best. Worship opens doors to all his goodness. Young lions and the prowl get hungry, but God's seekers are full of God. Come, children, listen closely. 
I'll give you a lesson of God worship. Who out there has a lust for life can't wait each day to come upon beauty? Guard your tongue from profanity and no more lying through your teeth. Turn your back on sin. Do something good. Embrace peace. Don't let it get away. God keeps an eye on his friends. His ears pick up every moan and groan. God won't put up with rebels. He'll cut them out the pack. Cut them from the pack. If anyone is anyone crying for help, God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Disciples so often get into trouble. Still, God is there every time. He's your bodyguard, shooting every bone. Not even a finger gets broken. The wicked commit slow suicide. They waste their lives hating the good. God pays each slave's freedom. No one who runs to him loses out. For some of us, that flame that was meant to burn day and night might have dimmed. You see, if Aaron and the priest weren't around that offering every day, they were removed from it, maybe a couple days, eventually that smoke smell would also wear off. That's why it's so important that we practice the spiritual disciplines, that we give our lives an offering every day. Um, let's see, we've got a few more minutes before we got to go and uh, pick up the kids. I think they're going to put up a slide when that time comes. Uh, so if you guys have to do that, you guys are welcome to. But we're going to go into a time of ministry because I feel like what the Lord wants to do is he wants to rekindle some flames in some people. Um, because, you know, the best, if you, if you guys have been around people smoking barbecue, you'll know that if you're around that person, that you end up smelling like smoke as well. And it's really hard to wash out your clothes. But like I said, over time, um, it may be because of life. It could be because of circumstances. There's all kinds of reasons why um, that smell may have worn off over the years. But I want you to know that it's okay. There's no condemnation in that. And this is a safe place. Uh, the reason why is because you are surrounded by other people who do have that aroma of heaven on them. You guys, we felt it during worship today. It was a, it was a very tangible, palpable presence. For me, um, the most on fire I'd ever been was when I was about 13, 14 um, in youth group down in Jackson, Florida. And, you know, I didn't have any needs any problems, any real worries. Uh, it was just me and the Father. There was a simplicity to it. And it's taken me a long time to get back to that first love. God's been so good to me that just two weeks ago at the Voice of the Apostles Conference um, we went to with Pastor Chad, I got to have a random, I say random, nothing's random in the kingdom, um, meeting with the pastor that led worship when I was 13. Um, it was him that gave me that fire. It taught me about that fire and taught me how to stoke it and keep it going. And when I met with him, it was like things for me came full circle. Um, like heaven hit the table at that little coffee shop so hard that neither of us wanted to get up and leave. Like I think I ended up having to like find a, like I think we have to, I have to pray for you and he had something he had to say, and then I was like, okay, we gotta, I think we have to go. Um, like missing parts of the conference. Um, but when that happened, I don't know, I just feel like heaven hit, 
and there was some kind of an impartation um, that I was able to receive. You could feel it. Um, that went back to that time for me when I was so on fire for him that really nothing mattered. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys if that's you, if you fit the category of maybe that aroma has worn off a bit. Maybe that fire has kind of dwindled. Life, circumstances, experiences, situations, people um, have beat that down. Then I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and come forward. I want to pray for you guys. Um, If I could, I'm going to ask also to have, sorry, babe. I'm going to ask to have, um, if if you're an elder, I want us to lay hands on each of these people. And here's why. If you go to Leviticus 4.15, you'll read, The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord. And the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. That bull was the tangible representation of that future sacrifice of Christ Jesus. That's us. We're the sacrifice that he's worth. He's a worthy God. And so I'm gonna, we're going to go by and we're going to put our hands on your head like the elders have put the hands on the head of the bull and bless that offering because we're going to bless you guys and the fire that's going to burn inside of you. Being around us is going to have a natural realm, tangible manifestation, I believe. I don't think it's just figurative. I think it's going to be something that you could, you could actually feel that you're going to experience. And so right now we're going to go into worship. You guys, if you're in your seats, that what that means, what that tells me is that your fire is still burning bright. I want you guys to be worshiping and praising God as you leave. You're free to leave if you want or stay and hang out as we worship. But that aroma is going to fill this room and it's going to be infused into each one of these here.